0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskauspo. Well, I mean, we didn't win the Big Ten Championship, but I'm just going to come right out and say this. At no time, in that entire game, did I feel we didn't deserve to be there or, or could, did we not deserve to be on that field with Ohio State? We played our butts off the entire game and
1: credit where credit is due. Ohio State's really good. If you, wa- if you were a Northwestern fan and you didn't walk out of that stadium feeling like you'd experienced a notable life moment, I don't know what to tell you. Um, we'll drill down on, you know, the actual experience of the game itself later, but, um, <clears throat> ultimately for me this is one that um, you can look at it as a whole um, and and the end result or you can choose to remember certain moments within this game and i mean no one will ever be able to take the first half of the third quarter of this game away from me i mean that was just absolute ecstasy and the game had its ups and downs um we had them second and 13. We were down one touchdown, had them second and 13 deep in their own territory in the fourth quarter, and then things turned. But, um, yeah, I think for me, one particular place to start, credit where credit is due, is I think we talked going into the game, or I specifically said, that ultimately we were going to be, regardless of prep, kind of beholden to which Ohio State decided to show up, and I – on the back of that comment, I really want to give full credit to our team. You know, echoing what you said, Sam, because we got the good Ohio State yep. over overall in this game, and we gave them a heck of a game.
2: This was easily Dwayne Haskins' best game of the year, and that I and that's much much more about Dwayne Haskins than it is our secondary. Um, that, that that game got him a ticket to New York. He's going to the Heisman yeah, ceremony definitely. Um, it, it, really interesting thing. So we. we a, we talked about we need Ohio State's B-plus game or or B game or whatever. Um, and I would, I would give Ohio State an A-minus overall. Our game plan was spot on, and we executed it pretty damn well. We said we were going to let Haskins have the underneath routes. We were going to try to keep everything in front of us. You saw massive cushions. Some of that was the, the types of routes that the Ohio State receivers were running. A lot of double moves to kind of force our guys back, and then – that just carved out a ton of space for them underneath. And Haskins, to his credit, really used his legs well. Sam, you kind of alluded or, or compared him to to Ian Book, and I still don't think he's got the speed of Ian, Ian Book, but his fluidity in moving around the pocket, his ability to avoid uh, sacks and get out of out of contact, I think, like it reminded me a little bit of Cardell Jones. Just I, Haskins is a bit of a bigger player than. You know, maybe some, maybe a, a TJ Barrett certainly, or um, or JT Barrett certainly, or, or others. But I, I had an interesting conversation before the game with a really good friend who's uh, an Ohio State fan, and he he had one. He had listened to our podcast the prior week, and he said, "I've got one quibble with you guys, and that's that you, you talked about Haskins being able to run." And he said, "It's not true. He's a statue. He can't do it. He's the worst runner I've ever seen. Ra rah 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 rah." And this is a pretty like. Steve's a pretty, you know, like switched on smart dude. Right. Um, this is not like hyperbole or some crazy reaction. And then he and I were talking throughout the game. We were both stunned at what Haskins was doing with his feet. I thought so much of the game turned on not just his ability to stay alive in the pocket, but he picked up several critical conversions uh, on his legs as well. And then the dude was just dropping the ball wherever he wanted. I think, I think I saw the stats seven incompletions, um, most everything was thrown perfectly yes they have great receivers they have they have oodles of talent on the outside but Haskins had those balls in a 3-inch window <laughs> all day long
1: i'll say this too like you ohio state has great receivers ohio state has had great receivers before i think the the thing about Haskins that was blowing us away is for a non-running quarterback, and he's not, he is a slippery SOB in the pocket. His pocket presence is phenomenal, and they've got a good offensive line. And Scuzz, from the beginning of the year, you were talking about the thing that dropped that just jumps out at you compared to previous Ohio State teams is the yards per completion. And that's a function of time. <laughs> and with he's got a great pocket presence he knows when to get outside of the pocket and he's able to avoid contact as long as possible and he gets a great head start thanks to his offensive line and that enables them to do all these routes i mean we were talking just before the um just before the pot about the double moves that their receivers were running against our secondary and a, a good receiver running a double move, whether he's double moving short to go long or double moving long to go short, um, that's, that's a really, really hard thing, borderline unstoppable to deal with, but it takes time to execute. And he had that time. And the one moment, you know, the only moment that all of us all game, it felt like a stomach punch long before the play developed was when Haskins would take that snap out of shotgun and immediately do that that duck faint move, which I think is supposed to imitate some, some sort of read option or mesh concept, but really it's just a cue to us. Oh, they're going to try to run a play that takes a lot of time to run. And that's awful because we're not getting to the quarterback. (laughs) And, and I mean, that's, and you see that and you're like, well, that's how, that's how a team that has been, you know, a penalty factory as they were in this game Madden, maddeningly inconsistent, a running game that comes and goes at will, and a lousy defense is twelve and one. Is because and, and they because of what they can do throwing the ball.
2: What's crazy is we had four sacks that game, right? We we did better get into Haskins than most other teams have done, and there's there's another yeah. four that we probably left on the table. Oh, and, and that's and it's him. He was yes. what
1: made the difference with the other four. And, yep.
2: and we're raving about Haskins, but I think where we are all are going with this is that. In the face of potentially Ohio State's best offensive performance of the year, because again the Michigan game plan was garbage, so I'm going to throw that throw that out a little bit. Um, but in that, in the face of that, this Northwestern team played phenomenal. Um, had a chance to take this game down the wire in the second half, and just, you know a couple things uh, went sideways there there in the fourth quarter, but I, the the. The big thing that jumps out to me is, you know, we, we talked again about how we're going to try to contain them and knuckle down in the, in the red zone. You saw it on the very first drive. We let them approach the red zone. I, f- I figured if they were on, like, the 10, 10-ish yard line or something like that. And Haskins slips out of, like, two defenders grasped, is moving to his right, and lobs a ball that goes, what, a hand-width?
1: Over two guys, over two yeah. guys,
2: including Joe Gaziano. I mean, this was exactly the strategy, and you saw him on this play. You saw his move. Immediately as he started to move to his right, he wanted to throw uh, the swing pass to his running back, and there was Gaziano on the flat. We've talked all the time about how, how Hankowitz will drop town uh, or Nate Hall into these uh, these zone uh, these zone blitz reads that does a it, it confuses the, the heck out of quarterbacks and. Haskins saw it and was like, uh "Oh, what am I going to do?" And then threw the most perfect pass he could have thrown to hit his receiver for for a touchdown in the back of the end zone. Very similar play at the end of the first half. It was third and twenty. We were bringing pressure. He gets away from it somehow. I think he broke two different tackles, and then dropped a perfect perfect pass into the breadbasket of a receiver who was pretty well covered by uh, by Newsom. So that that's just indicative of we brought r a game on defense we shut down their running game They averaged 2.3 yards per carry we did everything we were supposed to do those are two cases where just like a matter of inches was the difference between the halftime score being 16 to 7 and being 24 to 7 and that's you know at, at the end of the day we got beaten by a team that that executed a little bit better and took advantage of their other of talent the, the talent gap and i think we can all live with that
0: and another factor, you know, especially late is, you know, the injuries started piling up. Yeah. Yep. I mean, oh, Ma- yes. Montre Hardage going out, you know, we lost our number one cornerback. We lost Cam Ruiz for the game. Um, and just our our secondary was already thin to begin with. And, you know, when you're taking away our number one and number three corners and expecting to cover these insanely fast wide receivers, I mean, that that's why the, the final score was 45-24. I think, you know, the game was closer than that. I think, you know, our injuries on the defensive side and Ohio State trying to win, uh, style points, uh, to attempt to try and get into, to the playoff. I think that is why the score is the way it was. I, it's, the game was closer than that. And, you know, go, going in, even going into halftime, you know, I, I know I was sitting on my couch thinking, oh boy, you know, this could get away from us. And then, the way we came out in the second half was just beautiful. But, but, I mean, I, I don't
2: know how bet how else better to, to say it. It was unbelievable. It was so great. That's the greatest 15 minutes. Well, <laughs> maybe the second greatest 15 minutes of football. I, I guess with the stakes and the opponent, I've got to give it tops over the fourth quarter against Minnesota in 2000 that ended in victory, right? Because this was... Not not the first quarter of UCLA in the Sun Bowl. Oh, you're never. Gonna, <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Um, nope. Oh boy. Uh, anyways, the, with the stakes and the opponent, everything on the line. The way the way Northwestern responded, the way Clayton Thorson looked, the way we played calls, or the, the way we the way we called plays, the um the receiving. Threats and looks that we hadn't seen all season. You've got Jelani going deep on wheel routes, um, and and catching catching the ball. He had two, what, thirty yard uh, completions. Um, you had Kyric McGowan who ended up as our leading receiver, running a slant pattern over the middle. That I feel like we haven't seen a ton. I mean, yes, I know Nagel runs it sometimes, but he's more of like that kind of uh, crossing out route as opposed to the the true slant over the middle. And it was it was a. Sp- special performance to see Northwestern get back into this game. And I, the ups and downs, the, the, the Fessler fumble on the five yard line. And I think I had to sit down and was like hyper have almost hyperventilating, uh, waiting for that replay to come through and see what would happen. And it was, it was an amazing
1: stretch, uh, that I will never forget. (coughs) Well, it's funny both, you know, to, to Sam's first and second points, it wasn't just injuries on the defensive side of the ball at by the end of the game. At the start of the game, I looked at Scuzz and I was like, oh, look, yeah, Cam Ruiz is starting. And Scuz was like, no, that's Alonzo Mayo. And I was like, so if immediately you're like, well, I guess Cam Ruiz must be hurt, and he was hurt. But implicit in that was also, if Mayo is starting, in hindsight, seeing how much of the game Newsom played, that means not only was Ruiz out and Trey Williams is out, it means Newsom most likely wasn't at 100%. Because if Newsom had been at 100%, he would have been above Alonzo Mayo on the, on the depth chart. So that's where our cornerback situation was at the start of the game. And by the end of the game, you had probably a not 100% freshman and then Alonzo Mayo, and that was the two guys. And one of the things we talked about in our preview pod that I was terrified of was that Meyer was going to be like, screw your 10 yard cushion. We're just pushing right over the top of that. And that's what they did several times because they're Ohio State and they can do that. And when they did, especially in the fourth quarter and that second and 13 that finally, you know, effectively ended the game, um, it was a, it was a real kick in the teeth. But the flip side, like I said, is we, given all of that, we played so well and <clears throat> Flynn Nagel, You know, I don't know when it was, Scuzz. Was it second quarter? Early. It was early. It 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 was early. early. We suddenly watched an equipment manager walking toward the locker room holding Flynn Nagel's pads. And we were like, oh, shoot. He's done. Um, And Chad Hanaoka, we watched him come out with no pads. So we lost both of those guys during the game. And Nagel had two catches but I think one of the things, and this has been one of our strengths and in a weird situation, is like we're the anti-Michigan state, right? We have impact guys, obviously. We have Bennett, Bennett Skorodek and Flynn Nagel being your starting place. But Ohio State certainly, especially with Flynn Nagel hurt, could not look at tape and be like, they're going to try to pump everything to this guy because we don't, we don't operate that way. Um, we had 27, 27 receptions and I'm just counting here. Uh, what? 15 guys. No, 12, uh, 12, 12 guys caught a ball. And, um, and what? Nine of those guys caught at least two balls and that's hard to scheme against. And Ohio state is, you know, this has been their bugaboo all year. It's a, it's a defense that is loaded with talent that is prone to make mistakes, prone to take poor angles. John Moten's touchdown run, classic example. He gets to the second level. A couple guys take poor angles, and that's it. He's gone. And um, and they did not do it. I mean, they are an incredibly athletic group defensively. They're capable of getting pressure. I think defensively the single best thing that they can do is when they blitz, they're so fast that they can get to you so quickly in a blitz situation. And there were a couple of plays that – it, I think effectively short-circuited drives, where Ohio State brought personnel on two blitz, and it was obvious what they were doing, but they're just so fast that even to get a back out into the flat or something like that is, is tough. We haven't really talked about them so much. I thought Thorson had a pretty great game, all things considering, right? Yeah. The two, pi- the two picks, one was on a deep ball that you just take that shot. That came right into our face. That particular play, Scuzz and I were. That was right in our section, right off of section 208. And that was that you was
2: Nagel, right? And I think, yep. And I think yeah, N- Nagel.
1: That was Nagel had
2: it.
0: He just right. You know what? The r- defender. The defender ripped it <laughs> away from him, and I think that was the last we saw of Nagel. Yep. I think that was the play he got right. hurt. Right. Um, hey. But I mean, that that's either a touchdown or an
1: interception. Right. And you take a you take a shot, and you could see us going for it right away, and you could see that the defender was gonna be there and you just take the shot. And then the other one hit Jared Thomas in the head. So like I don't know what to say about that one. Well, uh, and and uh, Thorson's arm was was hit as he threw that too. So Right. So and you take those out, 27 of 44, and this is a game that early on he had a, a he was spraying it a little bit and we were kind of like, "Oh, uh-oh." Yeah, he you missed You know, right he, off
2: there was the very first play, right? He he completely missed Nagel in the flat. He just kind of threw it low and outside and uh we, right. we all kind of had to, had to breathe a deep a deep breath to calm ourselves but he I mean he got back on track and, and
1: exactly he settled down and he was fine after that and he I was the...
2: super accurate in the second half. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I think as we were watching the second quarter we and, and some of the sacks were starting to pile up that the pressure seemed to be really getting to him we were pretty concerned that, that things were going to go off the rails and the way he responded and by by accounts that I've read was really vocal. Um, encouraging the team, leading the team, displaying you know, what you'd expect your senior quarterback to do in this situation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, this is, you know, we got one more game to watch Clayton Thorson uh, apply his trade. He's going to tie or break the uh, Big Ten record for, for consecutive starts. I think break it. Um, I think so. I and maybe this game was the game that 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 broke it. I can I can't recall but he he will have started more or as many as any other Big 10 quarterback ever has. Um and that's it's it's there've been ups, there've been downs, but it's been a pretty incredible career and he definitely deserves some pirate booty for this game especially given what he was going up against and how he performed in in the heat of the moment. Um it's pretty awesome. Oh, oh, but I I completely forgot to mention the
1: 18-yard touchdown run. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. It's funny. Like, you – it's it's the la- – other than a bowl game, right? You're talking about the second-to-last game of his career. Um, and he's making a run that takes you all the way back to the first game of his career at Stanford. <laughs> Um, and you know Reminding us of that guy Who showed those legs then That if you if you if Even now with his bum wheel If you make him run He's still capable And two He could have gone out of bounds there And was not going out of bounds He wanted it And you watched him In the post-game press conference That was one red-eyed guy um, This game meant everything to him And he played like it So I, I want
0: to ask you guys um, What your thoughts were As far as the play calling In the first half I mean the first half was was frustrating, at least from my perspective, because we never really seemed to get any rhythm offensively. I mean, we had the the Moten touchdown, which was phenomenal, but aside from that, it was a lot of three and outs. You know, just nothing really got clicking, but then, you know, coming out, out of the second half, you know, Bowser busts off the nine-yard run, this, the first play of the second half, and then it's like, okay— now, now we're on to something. I mean, it seemed like we were doing a lot of throwing on first down and, you know, maybe not getting the completions or, you know, finding ourselves in second and long in, you know, specific passing situations. So I'm I, I mean, interested to hear what you guys' thoughts were, at least as, as the first half goes, uh, you know, compared to the second half. Well,
2: I, I think, John, you talked about it. Like the first, I think the first running play we saw was third down. Uh, Bowser, it was, you know, Thorson missed that first pass to Nagel. He, he hit a second pass for just shy of a first down, and then Bowser just got absolutely stonewalled on third and one. And coming right after that Haskins touchdown we described, where we thought we had him and we had, we had held Ohio State to a field goal on their opening drive, this was a real gut punch because Bowser was, you know, our our secret weapon if you and I mean he wasn't he's not a secret but we all felt really strong about everything we've seen from him the last uh, 6 weeks and what we thought he would be able to do in this game against a team that you can run on and to get shut down in that manner on the first drive and have the door closed so quickly uh, that 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 felt like a mental setback to me <clears throat> on the next drive suddenly you get the 77-yard touchdown return and then you come back out and Bowser again on second down gets stonewalled and i think that's John when you said like wow it's it's like he's going up against an eight man front like it, th- we were out of sync in that in that first half and i and and i think some of those moments we weren't we weren't mentally i don't want to say we weren't mentally prepared or mentally ready but i think we needed the game to come to us a little bit
1: and we just took a couple gut punches early and and too like to to what I was saying early on, Ohio State's an incredibly athletic defense, right? Um, but it's the kind of defense you can adjust against because they are prone to make mistakes. And I'll give Mick McCall credit. I think at halftime, I'm sure they had tape to study and, and especially too, I mean, Ohio State is capable, right? Because they're fast and they're strong and they're loaded with athletes. They're in a situation where, right, you can, if you bunch everybody up against the line and be like, we're going to run at you, they can easily fight off of that. But on the flip side, um, you can look at tape and you can be like, okay, they're getting out of position here. Or, yeah, that time when, like, they just got to Thorson in two seconds, that's because they brought extra guys, and we'll adjust for that next time. And and I think a lot of it is that, and a lot of it was just the team coming out of the halftime fired up. But, um, you know... To circle back to what we talked about before, the, the start of the second half, I mean, with all that said and those adjustments, um, it, God, it made you proud to be a wildcat man. Um, especially in that stadium, the place was going absolutely bananas. You know, our corner of the stadium, um, the, whatever, we'll say the 35 to 40% of the fans, um, that were Northwestern fans were going absolutely bananas. Um, the team came right out, right, marched right down the field stopped them got it back marched down again and it was it was a a life moment like i said it was that good um to be in that game and i think you know to all the people who were watching at home that hadn't seen northwestern play i think we garnered a lot of respect in those moments
2: I, I to me that's the the bullet on this uh on this whole experience is what it what it means for this program because and, Sam, you mentioned it, like, at halftime, we're looking at that score, we're looking at how things have played out in the first half, and we're thinking, oh, man, is this going to be another Alamo Bowl or or a Sun Bowl, you know, a, a relatively embarrassing defeat that sets us back. I You know, I was talking to some other folks at the game that that were having the same concerns, and in the end, it was the polar opposite. We put the fear of God into Ohio State and all their fans in that third quarter, and every one of them that I've talked to since has been like, yep, I was – I thought you guys were coming back that this was Maryland all over again. Um, and it, it's not a moral victory, but it's, it's the point that we belong. And we've, we've gotten to a point where we took three. Is Michigan still in the top 10? Yes. Yep. Three top 10 teams to the wire this year and put the fear of God into them. And that's pretty damn impressive. Um, and coming out of this game, it it feels like something we can build on. Everybody and, afterwards was saying we're going to be back here,
1: right? Exactly. Like
2: like the the talent that this that that Fitz and company are bringing in, the development that is happening. I think I, I tweeted earlier tonight about you know Jordan Thompson. Uh, was listed on Pro Football Focus's um, All Big Ten team for the year as as one of the starting DTs, and he's had he has he's had a spectacular season. Uh, doesn't rack up a lot of stats, but you our you can see it in our run defense and the way he gets graded out. Like we're developing pro level talent at all three levels of the defense. Linebacker is probably the one where you know we 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 tend to be less speed oriented there. But you look at you know Anthony Walker is a starting middle linebacker in the NFL, so. Um, we're doing it. This, I mean, this program is, is building and moving in the right direction, and winning this game would have been transcendental, certainly, but being there and showing up and performing the way we performed, the fan base looking the way it looked, uh, the being as vocal as they were. I don't think I've ever heard Northwestern fans as loud as they were on that 77-yard TD run by Moten. All those things matter in the... Perception of your program in the recruiting that happens in the way media coverage ends up being applied, and it's awesome. This is yet another building block that Fitz has helped uh, put in place over you know since he took over 12 years ago.
1: And it's hard to remember to an environment um, as a Northwestern fan that compares to this, partly because the Luke and if you've never been to the Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, that is an impressive venue. Just the sheer scale of it is staggering. It is a massive place. And, um, and you know, Northwestern has played bowl games before. We've played in big bowls. Um, but to a combination of a place where, one, the venue itself is absolutely gigantic. Um, two, the venue is filled. And three, a huge portion of that. Fan base inside the stadium is a Northwestern fan base. It's the amount of times those three things have all been true is so rare. Because I mean, in a, even at a lot of bowl games, depending on the size of the stadium, you'll have an in, on you know a venue that isn't completely filled, and that kind of affects the overall atmosphere. The Pinstripe Bowl in some ways was was similar um, in that the venue itself was totally filled, but obviously in terms of the amount of people at the game, it wasn't remotely close to the amount of people who were at this game and. It was just – it was electric as a Northwestern fan to be able to look around and see the scene and see how many of your Northwestern brothers and sisters were around you for it. Um, yeah, I, and those, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't wash off. Three, and I think three, – like 3,000 pe- 3,
2: students in that mix certainly helped as well
1: right and we yeah, were and they were cool, how cool was that oh and they were right next to us and it was we were in section 208 the student section i would say was was just one section over maybe 206 ish or something or right below that in the ones um and it was it was a crazy atmosphere any time where you would ever you know for those of you who weren't there if there were ever times where you're wondering you know what in this particular situation was the fan base on its feet yes they were all on their feet every in those moments. Every, every single time. time. There was not a laissez-faire Northwestern fan in the bunch. People were on their feet every third down, very many second downs, all the big late-in-the-game moments. All of the Northwestern fans who were there were going ballistic, and every one of them is thinking, God, I'd give anything to get back to that, and that's exactly where you want the program to be. I
2: think it's worth mentioning, too, that so that they just do a really good job with the Big 10 championship in Indianapolis and i mm-hmm. i yes. may have been swayed from an opinion a, a opinion I've, I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast but we've i think we've all talked about like oh let's get this championship game in chicago it's much more of a of a home base for the Big 10 there's so many fans there you'd sell it out every year. i think there was one year maybe it was the Michigan State Iowa year i can't remember but but attendance wasn't great Indianapolis is is really good at these events and when we walked in to Lucas Oil like our side of the stadium was the northwestern side of the stadium the there were banners on the inside they had decked it out as if it was you know a northwestern home sideline and of course the other side was similarly set up for Ohio State but you had i mean we we've all been there right where Maybe the numbers are balanced with an opposing fan base, and we still get shouted down. There were there were plenty of "Go UNU chants and "Let's Go Cats" chants, etc. That like in the hall. I'm talking about in the hallways, not inside the game itself. Just in the hallways where we shouted down uh, the opposition and and the Ohio State fans that were walking through. And it was just from top to bottom, it was uh, a fantastic showing.
0: Yeah, I mean, Indy, Indy is a really great place. For- For these kind of events. I mean, there's a reason why they host Final Fours all the time. There's a reason that they get Super Bowls. They have the Indy 500. I mean, that, that's a a really great way to, you know, they, they have practice with this sort of thing and everything downtown Indy is just right there. I mean, you got the stadium and then within a four or five block radius, you got all the
1: hotels, the bars. It's all just really, really convenient for the, for the visitors. It's easy to get there too. I mean, considering it was like a three and a half hour drive for me. Three and a half hours. I remember thinking, Sam, based on my commute, I was like, Well, gosh, this should be like a two and a half hour drive for Sam. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're far enough oh. you're far enough south. Not to rub not my intent is not to rub it in just no, no not how, at all. Not how far all. how far in the south south city you live now. But the but it's it's just easy. I mean, for us it was just the two ninety four to sixty five and that's it, and you're there. Um and uh yeah, it's 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 easily accessible, and of course the dome, and that just makes for a very comfortable environment. But yeah, to, to both your points, you get it. You go, you get it when you're there and you're a part of it, and you're like, yes, this is this is the place for this, and and we need to be back in this place as soon as possible.
2: Having been to the Notre Dame and Minnesota games earlier in November it was really nice to not wear seven layers (laughs) to a football game um i you know a couple of the things that that i wanted to call out and that's just that we got uh we got some great engagement with uh with folks that we that we met um thank you to all y'all that that came and chatted us chatted us up Uh, i wanted i wanted to call out some names um some folks that listened to the pod and then some others that were just you know Friendly and and, uh, and and hanging out. Um, so, Sean, Elliot... And, ho- and hopefully now we'll be listening to the pod. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Sean, Elliot, Jeremy, uh, who, all, who all gave us a shout-out. Everybody who was right around us in 208, we were all having a, a really good time. Um, uh, Blake and and what I refer to as the Bowser Boys, we got a, yeah. we got a photo of some guys uh, who I, I think were sitting pretty far up in the stadium, but they're all wearing purple Bowser shirts um, like the one that, uh, that John got and we posted a couple weeks ago, so big shout out to you guys um Kyle and Jimmy the the rest of the Numb crew that we were hanging out with uh before the game and then of course uh our a friend of the pod uh Jay Sharman uh proprietor of of the Lake the Post uh blog uh, that has since retired but um it was good to catch I was able to catch him at halftime and uh have have a nice little conversation etc. He was he was doing Yeoman's work bringing together uh northwestern fans all weekend long so um, just, just a great showing. And, uh, thanks, thanks to everyone that helped make this just one of the, one of the greatest football weekends that, um, both, uh, John and I have experienced in person for sure.
1: Next year I, I'll, I'll, be able to come. Absolutely. That's right. Cause we're going back. Um, and it's, it's not hard to envision a path back to that game. It's, it's going to be a tough road, but this, this team's got it. There, um,
2: there's one other, like in that vein, there's something different about this season and, and we don't need to go into like a full post-mortem, but um, we, we got, we got some time it, for that. It's, it's on the top of my mind. and I wanted to mention it. And that's that, you know, you think back to the Rose bowl year, that year was a miracle. The, the, it, it, it came out of nowhere. There were a number of games that had, you know, miracle like finishes and, and some of the um, seminal moments of that season, et cetera. 2000 was much the same way, right? We had, three games that that were quite literally miracle finishes and this year though with the exception of nebraska that didn't happen and and that that to me that's like the underpinning and the foundation of of that whole prospect of we belonged in this game we've you know i'm i'm not going to call us upper echelon of the big 10 yet like in 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 the in the same house as ohio state and michigan but we're right there in tier two and, and it's not by chance or luck. It's by execution and depth and scheme. And that, that's why I feel so confident that we can get back here and that we belong. And, and couple, couple that with, um, you
0: know, the, the development in the facilities, you know, the, the Fitz Carlton, as I've heard it called. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I have the, Just saw that one today, but you know the 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 facilities growth and you know the this it it, it's like a progression of the program. It's not like a flash in the pan. I mean, we've been building to this. You know, consistent. You know, we've been going to bowl games every year. It's not. It's no longer like, oh god, we're going to scrape and claw to get to a bowl eligibility. Now it's like we're going to bowls every year. We're winning bowl games. You know, this is something, not something that's happened, uh, up until a couple of years ago. You know, the program is growing and success breeds success. I mean, we've got Hunter, Hunter Johnson coming in to be the quarterback next year. We don't get Hunter Johnson to come to Northwestern five years ago. It just doesn't happen, but the program has advanced to the point where we're able to, to bring in these five star quarterbacks. Um, are we going to get him every time? No, we're not. We're not there yet, but. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there, and you you know that Fitz is going into houses right now, recruiting, and say, we need you to push us over the edge. We need you to, to come and get us over that next hump.
1: Sure, and you you can see that. Oh, absolutely, and I think you know, I I. I could easily get deep into the weeds position by position and, and we, really explain we exactly how, and we, and we'll have a whole off season to litigate all of that um, in terms of turnover and, and areas that were nervous, mainly the offensive line for next year. And, and we'll get to all of that down the road, but I'll just cite one particular guy as representative of, of the whole thing that you're both talking about. I'll um, And he's a guy on the defensive side of the ball that to me, um, if you want to encapsulate um, where this team is from the point you were talking about, Scuzz, until now, is Travis Willock. Travis Willock was not a starter at the start of this season. He'll be one of the best three strong safeties in the Big Ten next year. Mark it down. okay? That's just one more guy. He's a flipping monster. And he is from Katy, Texas, and went to a super marquee high school program, and we don't get that kid a decade ago. And Patty Fisher, his teammate, those are two guys that Northwestern doesn't get those guys in a bygone era. And now they're going to be wreaking havoc for us. And Willick was a guy who would not have played in the Big Ten championship game if Jared McGee hadn't been hurt. And he's a guy who Willick himself has been hurt and then has integrated himself into the defense over the course of this season. And he is just a monster. And we've got, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but look at wide receiver, okay? Look at running back. Look at the ungodly disaster that was the running back core from an injury perspective this year. And we had a true freshman running back who was there on the depth chart to come up and step in. Um And the wide receiver core, I mean, we have all these guys. I remember Berkeley Holman got a pass, and someone behind me was like, who's Berkeley Holman, which... <laughs> which I will say for a casual fan is a completely understandable reaction (laughs) because we have like 10 of those 10 guys in the receiver core who are all quality. And he's one of the youngest members. He was a huge recruit from a huge Catholic school in the state of California. And is going to be an awesome wildcat for the next three years. But we just have those guys. And of course, on the defensive side of the ball, we have a million of those guys. And that's why we have one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. We've talked forever about the the defensive line and how stacked it is and how much depth there is this year. Um, just keep in mind, with all the depth on that defensive line, like Devin O'Rourke, monster recruit, he didn't even play this year. Um, we have guys like that waiting. The defensive line, okay. On one hand, Yet, yeah, I mean, uh, the cornerbacks, okay. On one hand, injuries ravaged us. We had just horrific luck at that position group, but look where we are for next year, right? Greg Newsom and Cam Ruiz. Is anyone feeling bad about those two guys? Whoa, Nelly. Each of them has three years of eligibility left. So, I mean, it's just. You can point to so many people. I pick Willick as kind of like, to me, by the end of this year, he's the bannerman of this overall concept. But it's just there. It's building. And you look at all of this, and it's there's a reason why Fitz and all these guys can talk with confidence about, oh, we're getting back. Because, like, the foundation is there. It really is. This isn't a situation where this is going to fade away.
2: When it allowed us to survive the loss of our starting running back, which in years past would have scuttled our team, and our best wide receiver in Flynn Nagel which again would have scuttled our team um that that's the difference between Northwestern now and a decade ago a decade ago we had decent players in the starting lineup we were we were doing better now we've got the depth behind them and um and yeah it's just going to keep going
0: uh so before we delve too deep into the uh you know kind of a recap of the season because like like you said John we got plenty of time for that Um, we do have a bowl game to discuss and we're not going to go too deep into that uh, tonight but um, just on on the surface you know we're going to San Diego we're going to play the Pac-12 runner-up Utah Um, not that they really showed out very well in in the uh, Pac-12 championship game which was just I don't know if either of you guys watched any of that. That was a brutal game to watch. It was, you know, 10-3, to 3, no offensive touchdowns at all. But that just kind of is a factor and something that we're going to need to think about as we really start to to break down Utah, which we'll do uh, coming up. But Utah is a very strong defensively. Uh, they've had injuries to very key offensive positions. Their uh, they're starting quarterback, done for the year, They're starting running back done for the year They're starting wide receiver done for the year From uh, you know In in the Pac-12 championship he got hurt So they're going to be missing a lot Of offensive uh, first stringers But their defense is Very good So this could be a real Just punch him in the mouth Defensive slugfest Um, You know Just kind of at First glance But I kind of want to Talk a little bit about the fact that we're eight and a half point underdogs just right off the bat. That's
2: absurd. It, it's this team scored three points in their in the Pac-12 championship against Washington, and yes, right. Washington has a really good offense, but that that line is bananas. Bananas, absurd. Um, Utah's starting quarterback uh, was lost for the season about four weeks ago. Their starting running back was lost for the season about four weeks ago. I think that what you, Sammy, you were saying their best wide receiver got injured in the Pac-12 championship the game. Pac-12, yeah. It is a done. bananas line. It is right.
1: nonsense. And this is a team, right? That they did win the Pac-12 South. They are a very solid team. They lost three conference games plus the champion, plus the championship game. So this is a team that had four Pac-12 losses. Um, and the common thread through all of those games, all of those losses is they couldn't score points in those four games. They scored points in games that they won, and in some ways, you could juxtapose that with us and be like, it's kind of similar. This is a team that played Washington twice um, and scored 10 points in those two games combined, and one of those games was in September when Utah had was a healthy team. So it's against good defenses, they have struggled. Um, now, again... You could look like from a talent standpoint, this is a team that scored 41 points against USC. But that's a USC team that has a defensive character very similar to Ohio State's in that it is loaded with talent and plays like garbage a lot of the time. And so, I mean, so it, it's that kind of thing. Part of the reason that line is where it is is because Kyle Whittingham is a terrifying 11-1 and one in bowl games. Um, and I think that's part of the reason. I think you'll see that line move though. Because when people start to look at this with a clear eyes and say, look, Northwestern, as things stand, is a world's more complete football team than Utah is right now. Um, Their defense is for real, though. And they are awesome under that coaching staff at prepping for bowl games. But you ask me, we're the better team. And, and down the road, we're going to have plenty of time to talk in a lot more detail about it. The line has
2: already come down to like six and a half. Wow. Yeah.
1: It'll keep moving. That's
2: still bananas. This should, I mean, I, I could buy Utah by three, but. Um...
1: I do i do want to mention too, um, I'm just excited that we're playing in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. This, this is, it's, it's one we're checking off. Maybe, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I would say historically, outside of the New Year's Day Bowls, the Holiday Bowl has the best reputation of any bowl game. It is the bowl it's up game. There. It, people, it's up there. people assume the Holiday Bowl is going to be an awesome football game. It more often than not, it has produced great football. And I think Northwestern has a little bit of a reputation of playing crazy nail biter football. And I think a lot of people are going to tune into this game. But I'm just excited. I mean, like, this is we can now say Northwestern football, Citrus, Outback, Rose, Holiday, Alamo. Like all of those games, Sun, all of these games are Gator. They're all notable bowl games. There, I mean, we've played in other games that are farther down the ladder, but all of those games are notable games teams love to play in, and I just think it's cool that we're we're taking advantage of another one of those now.
0: Well, I'm actually going to be really interested to see what the what the crowd situation is like. I mean, Utah is, is close. That that's not a a terrible drive, you, you know, from uh, Utah to to San Diego. It's probably eight hours or so seven or eight hours, depending on, you know, how fast you're speeding through the Nevada desert. But, um, you know, our West coast alumni group is gotta be over the moon that, you know, everyone who's in LA and everyone who's in San Francisco, that's a quick flight down to San Diego. This is like so the I, this
2: is like the West coast version of, of the pinstripe bowl. And, and yeah. John, all of your stories from a couple of years ago. And right. I, and it, I am imagining that – I mean, I know there were – we saw some of our friends from the West Coast on Saturday um, uh, in Indianapolis, but I imagine that a lot of West Coast folks were uh, – did not make the trip and now have the opportunity to make it down to San Diego. So I, I would expect a good NU crowd. We haven't played on the West Coast in a bowl ever. So, I mean, yeah, Not ever, but not since the Rose Bowl because um, we've never gone to Foster Farms. And, or what, I mean, it's Redbox now. El, El, pa- El Paso. That is, is not the West Coast. Come <laughs> it's on It's not the now. West Coast, but it's west-ish. It is. You cannot... <laughs> I mean, ba- barely. Yes. I guess it's west of something. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess
1: in some ways El Paso can feel like San Diego right until you don't get to the ocean. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. No, I'll say, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Uh, Eric Miller, as the... As the one Northwestern person I know with serious Navy connections. Come on, man! It's San Diego. You got to get them. <laughs> you got you to play those cards, buddy. Come on, we're expecting about five thousand, you know, people—five thousand Navy men and women wearing purple for that game. You know, come on, it can be done. Um, but no, I think I think you're absolutely right. For all those people, especially on the West Coast who are hoping for a trip to Pasadena, that's a heck of a consolation prize. What? Um, well, is you're it is really it really enjoy it. It's kind of cool that it's like Big 10 runner up, Pac-10 runner up. Uh, right, could have pac 12 so, Yeah. As and let's put it this way, midway through the fourth quarter of both games, this was a very possible rolls Bowl matchup. True. So So yeah. Uh, and another
0: thing to mention is, you know, we're going to have our uh Westlaw Pirates Bowl Pick 'em challenge. Uh that'll go up in, in the next day or two as soon as I get around to reactivating it for the year but um, check our check our Twitter feed and Facebook for all the sign up information on that that's always a good time uh, as we do our our bowl pick them challenge uh, a lot of bowls this year 42 I believe and uh, so a lot a lot of games to pick but there there's some good ones out there um, we will go into uh, game by game kind of at least chit chat about all of those 42 uh, bowl games but before we do we should you know, kind of recap the rest of championship week. I mean, we were not the only game that went on. We talked a little bit about Washington, Utah, um, 10 to three, as we, as Blah. I mentioned, Ugh. terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, the, the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma over Texas, uh, 39 27. That, that was a game that, you know, we were kind of keeping an eye on early, just, you know, in terms of, what what it was going to do to Ohio State psyche, if anything? So there were a, um,
2: there were a lot of Northwestern watch parties um, that got set up like across the the downtown Indianapolis topography to watch the NUIU IU basketball game, and pretty much all of those watch parties, including the one that I ended up at, rolled right into Texas OU, and it was funny because there were. There were a lot of different takes on who and what we should whom and what we should all be rooting for in that game. So there were some NU fans that were convinced we wanted Texas to win. There were others that wanted an Oklahoma blowout, and it frankly it resulted in a lot of interesting and fun, kind of fun discussion um, as we were as we were pontificating on on what would be best for us down the track. But that also happened to be a pretty fun game, um, as we talked about on our on our preview pod last week. Kyler Murray is hella fun to watch. It looks like he's in pole position for the Heisman now, um, even even above Tua uh, Tangavaloa, which is kind of amazing. But this was, yeah, this was a fun game, and and Oklahoma has, has, they did enough to get into the playoff. Uh, Speaking of
0: Tua Tangavaloa and the uh, Crimson Tide, very interesting role reversal uh, in the SEC championship. Poetic, poetic. Uh, Tua gets hurt. Jalen Hurts comes in uh, to replace him and leads the Tide uh, back from behind uh, to knock off Georgia, uh, 35-28. What is Georgia doing running a fake punt at midfield on 4th and 11 in a tie game late? What is that?
1: I don't know. Uh, It's funny because I, you know, we weren't able to watch this game and I was kind of finding out about it all in hindsight. Um, But it's Georgia, you know, fake pun accepted, played really well in this game when you factor in just how good Alabama may be. And it, it was really fun just that it it. Well, let me boil it all down. It's really fun understanding that Ohio State wasn't even going to get to 5th let alone 6th in the <laughs> <laughs> just that it became really clear that Georgia is heads and tails better than than Ohio State in terms of being a complete football team and they showed it and I mean part of it is there are two different ways to look at it on one hand you you could say um that that the Georgia, why should they be penalized for having to play one more game and for having that game be against Alabama, especially since they still almost won it? And on the other side, you know, I think Teddy Greenstein had a tweet that just, it could not have had any less sympathy for Georgia, basically being like, don't lose twice and don't have one of those losses be a blowout. And it's like, yeah, I see that. I see your point. Um, so. It's it, but I mean it, it. Certainly made for a fun game, and and yeah, it was awesome for Hertz that he get that he got to to be a part of it.
0: It, it was hilarious watching social media throughout our game. You know the the few tweets coming down my feed that wasn't uh, about the Northwestern game, but you know people saying, "Oh yeah, Georgia should absolutely make the playoff even with two losses." And it was that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, is Georgia one? I is Georgia better than Oklahoma? I think so. Did Oklahoma lose twice? No, they did not. I don't know. And they what? and they avenged
1: their only loss too. Yeah,
2: the, there's a lot of love for a Georgia team that benefited greatly from Tua Tagovailoa being hobbled for three sure. quarters in this game. So I like I'm I'm gonna pull real hard on the brakes on like the Georgia is is amazing. I, they're they're really really good. Certainly, they clearly can't beat Alabama. Why would you put them in a matchup with Alabama all over again? I mean. Yeah, I mean, that, they, they would just run that back in – oh, I guess it would have been in Dallas if
0: it was Georgia-Bama.
1: Yeah, I think the committee got it right. This was the – it was the right four teams for sure. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but UCF, you know, I – they, to me, would – you know, I'm bummed that that they're not going to have a shot once again. But I am super psyched that they got a huge rally win. I mean, I they were way down in this game. Um, yeah, big time. Big time in in their uh AAC championship and rallied with their backup quarterback and came down. Daryl Mack threw for three hundred forty eight yards and they came back and got the win, which is awesome. Now they're gonna get a chance to play in another New Year's six bowl two years in a row, um, have a chance to claim another a national title that only they'll claim, but they have the right to claim it, have another parade. Um and uh and it'll be awesome. Uh, Clemson all
0: over pit, although that game at the half was a lot closer than it was. And then, you know, Clemson in the second half, they're like, Oh yeah, that's right. We're Clemson, they're pit. Let's, let's be done with this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you got Clemson, Notre Dame at the, at the Cotton Bowl and then, um, Oklahoma, Alabama at the Orange Bowl as your, as your playoff. And, um, Very interesting. You know, you, you look at early lines for that. Bama 14 point, uh, favorite over Oklahoma. Clemson the 11 and a half point favorite over, uh, Notre Dame. I, I, it really does seem like, you know, we're just heading towards another, uh, Clemson, Bama, you know, third time in four years. If Clemson, national if, championship game. if
1: Clemson plays against Notre Dame the way they played against Pitt, Notre Dame will win that game. Um, But I, but I have a feeling a much better Clemson team is going to show up for that game. Um, if you, I mean, that to me, if there's going to be an upset, but I don't know. I, I mean, Oklahoma. Has, I mean, Oklahoma has not faced a defense remotely like Alabama's defense this year, but that's awesome. I mean, and that's everyone who's a proponent of like the 18 playoff and all that stuff, right? It's like, this is great. This is what we want. Now we get to see the rubber meet the road. Now we get to see what happens if Kyler Murray plays Alabama's defense. I mean, this is what we all want. So it's what I'm we were, glad we're going to see it.
2: It's what we were begging for uh, in that year that it ended up being Ohio, or uh, Alabama and LSU again instead of Alabama, Oklahoma State. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like there was a period of time where you know the nation's best offense be it Ohio State going up against Florida in what was that 08 or 07 or 06 um, you had Oregon going up against Auburn like like a, a lot of these high flying teams that just kind of died in the playoff or in the BCS championship I should say and defense was was such a a marker. Um, for winning these games. I feel like much like the NFL is shifting now, college has shifted and the adage of defense wins championships. I don't believe it anymore. I really don't. I and, I and we've seen too many cases where a good defensive team can get sucked into a shootout because offenses are so innovative and so powerful right now. And you look at what Lincoln Riley is doing with Kyler Murray and it is, it is next level. Um, so I, that, I think that's going to be really, really exciting. And on the other side, with Clemson-Notre Dame, Clemson has not played anyone. I'm sorry. That, like,
1: yeah, well, that's I, the ACC the, knock-all season. If Clemson the, had a loss, they weren't getting in. The ACC is
2: garbage. Hot garbage. Um, worse than the Pac-12 garbage. And I, I'm i not suggesting that that means that Notre Dame's going to win this game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is excellent. That That Clemson team is just... Loaded with talent they have not been in a challenging situation pretty much all year um with maybe the exception of of a and m in week two and i mean you don't you don't have to look far for a formula that causes them a lot of problems namely like trevor lawrence tweaks an ankle or something and they're they're in deep trouble but as a as a freshman qb he ain't been in very many tough situations yet either so um we shall the, see. The, I mean, the Syracuse game, maybe, but he wasn't, he was he got knocked out of that game early.
0: Oh, that's and right. And then that's right.
2: against A&M, that was when Kelly Bryant was still the starting quarterback. And he's the one that won that game for them. So I, this is, this will be a really interesting matchup and nobody's giving Notre Dame much of a shot. And that's, you know, th- th- that will if there's going to be a surprise, I think that's going to be the surprise. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see though. We'll see how we'll see how things play out over the next couple of weeks in terms of when we find out like which players may or may not be playing and if there are any key injuries. Um, I don't think any of these coaches are going anywhere, but you just you just never know what what might happen. Um, again, well, I mean, and you know, Tua's to, to ankle. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he's
0: not a hundred percent, is that going to be you know? There's a reason that Tua was starting, and like uh, the Alabama offense was electric with him uh, under center. You know, yeah, Jalen Hurts fantastic quarterback he's very very good
2: is he as good as Tua I don't think so well I don't don't know but he's got himself a starting job wherever the (laughs) hell he wants to go next year sure absolutely absolutely
1: uh can we talk I I know we'll get we haven't talked about the Mountain West football championship game I just want to make everyone aware who maybe might not be aware that in addition to all of these games we almost saw the biggest upset in college football history this weekend. <laughs> and I feel like people don't know about this. And it, it 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 would it would have been the biggest upset in college football history. Um, Drake lost to Iowa State 27 24, okay? I don't just mean upset because Drake was a forty one point underdog in this game. This was a ranked Iowa State team, twenty-third in the nation. This is a team that lost to Oklahoma by ten. This is a team that smoked West Virginia in a game when I think West Virginia scored like 14 points. Um, they beat Oklahoma State on the road. Drake isn't just an FCS school. Drake doesn't give athletic scholarships. An FCS team with zero scholarship players. When Butler beat Youngstown State at the start of this season, everyone was going bananas because Butler doesn't give scholarships. And that was against an FCS team. So you're talking about Iowa State, who was only playing this game as a reschedule from, I think they had South Dakota State at the beginning of the year, and it was a weather cancellation. Um, they almost lost to a team that doesn't give out scholarships, which to me is just staggering. Um, but it's certainly worth a mention as like the one other game that happened today. But, but beyond that, Mountain West, like I was saying, um, uh, Fresno State, I feel like we've been f- college football fans long enough that we can remember when Fresno State came out of nowhere to become this power and they really were for a while. And then they really fell on hard times and were bad for a couple of years. And now they're back. Jeff Tedford. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. They're, <clears throat> hey, between a Mountain West title and, uh, Aaron Rodgers looking for a new quarterback coach, Tedford going to get any Green Bay Packers love. You never know. Hey. Someone's looking for an Aaron Rodgers whisperer. Maybe he's the guy. I don't know. I, I've
0: heard you know some people talk about Cliff Kingsbury to uh, Green Bay. I've also heard people talk Pat Fitzgerald to Green Bay. So we'll we'll see how that develops. I don't think there's any smoke to that fire.
1: No, uh, I don't think so. Mark Murphy can dream. They have, they have a relationship, but uh, but yeah, not not gonna happen. But but yeah, any. It better not what? happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it feels like one. I mean, like this is this is what happens in these situations. There's a lot of feelers that get put out. You know, people speculate, etc. Um, and sometimes that speculation is, you know, I'm I'm sure that the the Packers, you know, brass is is you know would put fits on a maybe not on a short list, but certainly on a medium list of coaches to talk to, but. I you know and, and I wouldn't be surprised
0: if Fitz talked to him. I mean, there's no reason not to talk to him, at least, right? Yeah, I would prefer that he told them to go screw themselves, but um, <laughs> yeah. if, you which know. I'm sure is will, will be what it ends up being. But you know, you, you always hear these stories how you know the only job Fitz would ever leave Northwestern for would be for the Bears. I don't know. It, the Packers are pretty close. I'm, I'm not. It, I'm not saying like this. There's any likelihood this is going to happen, but it's it's interesting to
1: to think about. It's a question to, of
2: it's a question of is he, if he if he wants to coach in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I, cause... this is a, this is a guy who I I mean all he talks about is Northwestern of the process and wanting to be a part of it. And with all with other coaches, you might say it's lip service, but I feel like Fitz wants to be buried in Evanston. So that's I, I... me. That, you know come back to me and tell me you know that i'm wrong when i'm wrong but i'll until proven otherwise that's what i choose to believe
2: i feel the exact same way and and there's there's like urban meyer same way urban meyer never even once considered the nfl uh in his career and yeah like okay granted he's getting paid oodles and oodles of money at ohio state and florida and wherever but there are many other coaches that that have issued that route and you know, there's there's other guys like obviously Harbaugh uh, spent a fair amount of time up
1: there. There's a guy who retired just last week, Bill Snyder. I'm yeah. sure he had offers.
2: Yeah, Har- Harbaugh very well may go back. We'll see. Um, Brian Kelly has expressed interest and interviewed up there a couple times, but some some coaches don't don't want to pursue that. They like they like the element of recruiting and developing these uh, these players, molding them as uh, as young adults um versus the professional aspect that you get at the next level so it's just i mean it's a question of of who and what Fitz wants to be and there's nothing that he's said or done to this point that would make me think that that's that's what he covets um and who you know and th- if things change right but i don't you know the brinks truck is not what's going to convince Fitz to go run up to the next level that's not who he is and if, no, very, very true.
1: And if Fitz wants to coach NFL players who are leading teams to victory on Sunday nights in front of you know millions of eyes, he doesn't have. He can just stay right at Northwestern because we're cranking those guys out just fine right now.
0: Yeah, how about Justin Jackson
1: uh, putting on a
0: show last night against the Steelers?
1: Who
2: boy, was
1: talk awesome about
0: at-
2: it. Talk about
1: a coming out party, like Whoa, Bill Nelly.
2: Bill Simmons was incredulous, saying like he's their th- something to the effect of he's their third string running back, and he comes out there and just blows the Doros off of Pittsburgh. It looks like Gale Sayers. <laughs>
1: well, Bill. Well, Bill. Bill Simmons is like that because he's salty that half of his staff is from Northwestern, and. And I'm sure <laughs> everything we know about Roger Sherman, I'm sure Roger Sherman was just sitting next to him screaming about Justin Jackson the entire time. <laughs> Roger Sherman who acquitted himself phenomenally during the course of that game, um, had all the Justin Jackson and the pit stuff ready to go. And it was, it was awesome. So yeah, I think that's just bill being bitter about where, uh, About Middale cranking out a huge portion of the Ringer staff, as it should. Roger and Rafe and whoever else is there. Like, keep it real, dudes. Right.
2: Juliet Littman. Juliet Littman, exactly.
1: Yep. No shortage of
0: Wildcats over there. Well, should we uh, put a bow on this one tonight, guys? And uh, we'll be back, obviously, next week. Start uh, really kind of diving into this Utah team. We'll start doing some bowl previews. um, You know, kind of jump into that. Probably next week or two, but uh, anything else before
2: we get out of here? I'll just mention this, like, and I guess I, like this is probably overthinking things, but um, I know I was very disappointed when that when that when that game turned and it was clear that we were not going to win, and I just I just don't want anyone to think that the first you know the, the first forty minutes of the pod where we where we're digesting Ohio State think that we're we're looking at this as you know like a moral victory and like uh, oh yes we tried so hard we played so hard good on us boys like that's that's not that's that's not the the full story there um i think obviously we felt like we were we were outclassed by a better opponent but um we were we were bitterly disappointed at the end of that game but i think uh the 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 bottom line is the hope that we have for for the future and what this what that performance meant for what we can achieve, um, going forward. So I, I don't know. It's probably not, 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 uh, especially worth it to dive back into this here at the end of the pod, but it just, it was, I was mulling it over a little bit as we were going here.
1: Let me just tack onto that to say too, that like, and if you're a, if you're a hardcore Northwestern fan or you're listening to this pod and you know how we feel as Northwestern fans, you know what it's like to feel frustrated. You know what it's like to feel like something was left on the table. You know what it's like to be mad at decisions that were made or the program. You know what it's like to have like a bitter loss where victory was right there and it was, it was stolen away from you. We have plenty of those moments and this one felt different. It just did. It, well, it- just. It and just it, did, and for all the reasons Scott said.
2: And there were some of those moments in this game. I mean, it was not the best game the Cats played this year. I didn't think. Um, I thought Wisconsin and, and maybe even Iowa were better end-to-end performances. But um, but yeah, it's it's still it, it goes without saying that that the uh, the way it all came together in the end was in total encouraging, albeit disappointing in the moment.
1: Here's what we can all agree on: it, you want more. You want more of it. And and we're gonna get back there. Yeah, not only do
0: we want more, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility that we'll be back very very soon. I
2: told I told my four year old earlier. She asked me when Northwestern was. She asked me, I think is Northwestern on tonight? You know, um, I said no, but they, you know they've got one more game. We'll get to watch it, and then they won't play for eight months. And she goes, eight months. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was the greatest reaction I could have hoped
1: for and and that that reaction right there is the reason this podcast exists we're gonna get you all through it
0: <laughs> <laughs> stay
1: with it we'll carry you through the lull we'll be here for you
0: and, and we're gonna have some hoops to talk about as well i mean oh yeah briefly sure. mentioned the uh the indiana game we've got michigan coming up tomorrow top five ranked michigan um i, I remember the last time michigan came into welsh ryan arena that was a. Uh, that was a fun little game. I think uh, mm-hmm. we might have a little something to say about that com- uh, coming up tomorrow night. We'll see. But uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skaskull, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next time.